I've had Gary Glitter on the brain the last few days. And it's not the first time in my life. I mean, my history with Gary Glitter goes back to the early 90s. Gary Glitter occupying some weird little crevice in my brain goes way back. Over 30 years, probably 30 years. Probably 30 years to this day. It's probably 30 years ago on this day that Gary Glitter first wormed his way into my brain. But yeah, what got me thinking about him again was uh, I saw that Jimmy Savile documentary, Notorious British Pedophile. And if you listen to this show for a while, you, you know that I always say pedophile. I always pronounce it pedophile. I don't know why. I, I just, it sounds better to me. You know, I don't do it to sound British. <laughs> I, the, way, the way I talk, it's to sound British. Uh, Eric, the guy, he, he tries to sound British. How does he, what does he do when he's trying to sound British? Oh, he just pronounces pedophile as pedophile. The only British thing I do. Makes me really British, though. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know why I, I, I enjoy that pronunciation more. Pedo sounds stupid. Pedo. It's like I was saying about the word porn. At some point, probably around the late 90s, early 2000s, porno, I mean, I think it was heading that way throughout the 90s, but at some point, what people used to call porno, short for pornography, became porn. Porn. Like, there's something piggish, like hoggish. Like, truly pig-like. I think piggish... That means something else to people. But there's something like truly pig-like. Like when I when I hear the word porn, I think of like a, a, a bratwurst on a spit being roasted. I think of pork. I, I mean, now I know why I think that. because of pork. I thought there was some more esoteric reason why I associate the word porn with pigs. And it's because it sounds like pork. It's stupid stupid association it's not a cool explanation but it still gives me that impression i still think of like porn porn just sounds stupid porno sounded way better still stupid porno still sounded stupid but way better than porn it's kind of how i feel about pedo and pedo pedophile he's a pedo 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 sounds way better and you should be allowed to do that. You know, you should be allowed to pronounce some words how you want. It's funny, we're so permissive with slang and the way people talk. We're very permissive with the way people talk, but yet, if you decide to say pedo instead of pedophile, it's like, why are you saying it that way? People also do it with mispronouncing words. There are people out there who make a huge deal when someone mispronounces something. And it's like, one, maybe they've never heard it said aloud. There's a lot of words like that. There are words that I've known, that I know, that I've read a million times. I can tell you exactly what they mean. I can tell you how to use them. But I don't know how to pronounce them right. A lot of words. People make a huge deal out of that. It's like you're allowed to talk like an absolute idiot in so many other ways, and people are just like, that's just how he talks. 
That's just what kids say now. That's just slang now. But you decide to pronounce a word differently, not even mispronounce. Like me saying pedophile, that's not a mispronunciation. And I like the P-A-E spelling more too. P-A-E-D-O-file. It's like when people spell demon with an A-E. I'm a P-A-E-D. I'm not one. But uh, when it comes to the word, that's that's the word I want to use. That's the pronunciation I want to use. That's the spelling I want to use. And if you did that with everything, like if I pronounced everything the British way, like aluminium, if I said aluminium instead of aluminum, you know, if I was doing that with everything, I'd just be annoying to people. I'd be an annoying American. I'd walk around talking about my favorite football club and correct people. Be like, you mean American football? Soccer is actually called football. Football. I'd be one of those people if I pronounced everything that way. But I've chosen to latch on to pedophile. But anyway, uh, Gary Glitter. I was watching the Jimmy Savile documentary. And of course, Gary Glitter came up. Of course, they were friends and co-pedophiles. But Gary Glitter, like, he goes way back for me. Because I think like most kids... I was introduced to Gary Glitter in a football stadium because that song Rock and Roll Part 2, it just became the stadium. It became the football song. I think all kinds of sports, but it really fit football. And they used to play it after Seahawks touchdowns at home games. And so I, 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 I can still remember. It's interesting when you can remember like what you were thinking and feeling when you heard something the first time. And I was in the kingdom the old seahawks stadium and there was a touchdown and i just I, I heard this sound come over the 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 speakers and those are the loudest speakers in the world stadium speakers so at just a, a massive thundering volume i heard this like hey and i'm not even doing a good impression of it but i, I just heard this chanting of hey and it's not musical the thing about that song is the chants of hey they're not really musical. They're, they're barely in time with the music. And they, they seem out of sync. And they sound just completely wild. And I didn't know that I was hearing a song at first. Like, I knew I wasn't hearing the crowd. I knew that I was hearing something through the loudspeakers of the stadium, through the PA, the stadium PA. I knew that much. But I was just mystified by what I was hearing because... It sounded to me very tribal. It sounded very primitive, like just this this primitive hey. And I, I just was trying to comprehend what I was hearing and like where it was even coming from. Like I knew it was coming through the PA, but I didn't know if this was a song. I didn't know. It was just it, 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 like by the very. I, I know I use the word wild a lot to mean different things, but it sounded by definition wild, like wild humans. And it sounded very black to me at the time. I mean, that's just because I was watching football. You know, it's like there's, there's going to be a... You're going to have blackness on the brain when you're at a football game. And it, it, I was just like, what is this? And, uh, you know, sure enough, like, I started to hear it all the time. 
you know, I would go to Seahawks games every home game with my dad, and then I, I would hear it every touchdown, and I would look forward to it. I would, beyond the fact that a touchdown is exhilarating, I would be really looking forward to hearing that song because, you know, I, at that time I, I knew I, I knew what a guitar sounds like, but I didn't know what a riff is. I didn't know like how music was constructed. Like I've said this before, music to me just sounded like one solid organic mass. Like listening to a song when I was eight years old. You know, I, I guess I could kind of, I, I knew what the guitar was, but beyond that, I couldn't tell you what, what the bass was. I couldn't tell you really even what the drums were. I couldn't tell you what was going on. I could tell that it was musical. I could recognize a beat, but I, I wasn't really able to differentiate like the different components that made the music what it is. And so like the Gary Glitter song though, it's so obviously a riff song. And I really enjoyed that. Like, cause I don't think I truly heard anything like that. Like, I wasn't raised on riffs, as they say. I wasn't one of these kids. There's kids today that are being raised on riffs. I wasn't raised on riffs. And I heard riffs. Like, my sister was a Nirvana fan. My sister was a Metallica fan. So I heard riffs. But I'd never heard just a riff that's just boiled down to its essence like that. Because a lot of the Metallica that I was hearing, too, like Metallica had riffs. Metallica. Metallica. Metallica had, you know, they, they have songs where it's just like, I mean, you think about like Fade to Black or something like that, like the chorus riff, where that's just a, this is a boiled down riff. That's just the essence of a riff. But I don't remember really hearing songs like that. Like when my sister listened to Metallica, I don't remember her listening to that album. And yeah, like, I heard a lot of the Black Album, the Black Album, and that's a riff, that's a very recognizable riff. So, I mean, I, I knew what a riff is, but I just hadn't really heard anything that just broke it all down, and that's all you focus on. And I mean, I hate to say this, but, it, you know, that Gary Glitter song, it was almost like hearing a Doom song or something. It was almost like like doom music to me. You know, as a little kid, I wasn't like, oh, it's like, is this doom metal? You know, something I'd never heard of in my life. But, you know, it, it was that sort of experience where I'm like, this is just a riff. Not played very fast. It's not slow. It's not like rock and roll part two is like a sludge song where it's like just long drawn out chords. But it's pretty simple and and the chord you know the, the chord progression it's not like they're it's just like listen to these chords ring out and so hearing it like in the stadium and, and at that volume too like hearing a riff that loud while there's this other thing going on that i'm excited about that the whole stadium of people is screaming about a seahawks touchdown so that's a part of it as well but i really just zeroed in on the music and I don't know how I found out more about it because I noticed that you started to hear that at like all sports after that. Maybe that was already going on, but I started to notice that like it seemed like every time you went to a professional sports game, you were going to hear that song. And people would call it the Hay song and the touchdown song. Like I remember going to Seahawks games and my dad must have picked up on the fact that I really liked it. He must have picked up on the fact that I really liked that song. Because I remember he'd be like, they're playing the touchdown song. They're playing the touchdown song. 
other people would call it the Hayes song. And I remember like bringing it up with people at school, like that song, that song they play at the Seahawks games. Have you heard this song? I don't know how I found out what it was, but I do know that it was at some point put out on a Jock Jam CD. They made these compilations called Jock Jams. There was just stadium music. It was just a CD of like 10, 12 songs they played at stadiums. Maybe there was, maybe it was 20 songs for all I know. By the way, it was a collection of songs that they would play in stadiums. And most of it was like dance R&B crap. There's probably good stuff. I mean, I, I bet if I look back, there's probably, I think there was some salt and pepper or something. Salt and pedo. Salt and pedo. But uh, salt and pedo. <laughs> Stupid. Um, there's probably something like that. But yeah, like dance R&B. That seemed to be what was on there. But then there was this Gary Glitter song, and I bought that CD. I don't know how I knew to get it. Like I said, I don't know how I learned that that song was Gary Glitter, and, and that the song was called Rock and Roll Part 2. Because I wouldn't have just gone in and like checked out the Jock Jams album just for the heck of it. I know that I bought the Jock Jams CD because that song was on it. Somehow I found out the name of it. I don't know how. And I didn't listen to anything else on the CD. I would just listen to that song over and over again. I don't remember this going on for a long time. You know, I was probably in, I don't know, anywhere between second and fourth grade. I don't remember that going on a long time. Like, I don't remember spending years of my life just listening to that Gary Glitter song. I would say months. I would say a few, like the first few months after getting that CD, I would just crank that song and I would play it on repeat. And finding out who it was and what it was called didn't demystify it. Because I was like, who the fuck is Gary Glitter? Because the name, I mean, Gary, you don't listen to a song like that and think, Gary Glitter? Oh yeah, this sounds like a guy named Gary Glitter. And there's no guy on it. Like, there's these chants of, hey, but it's not like a singer. It's, like I said, very primal. You know, it's not like it's not like a, a band going like, Hey! Hey, hey, hey! Hey, 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 hey! You know, it's not like a band, you know, doing that. Like this friendly sort of Beatles hey. It's just a primal yell. And, and there's obviously, like, it's like, that's like a, what they call a gang shout. There's obviously multiple tracks of vocals, but there's nothing in that vocal track. And it even sounds like a sample. You know, it even, it doesn't even sound like, you know, that was recorded in a studio. Like the, the hay part sounds like it was sampled from a, a recorder or something, but there's nothing musical about it. It's barely in time. It's just this primal shout. And so it's not like you hear it and you're like, oh, Gary Glitter, yeah. This was made by a guy named Gary Glitter. You're just like, what is this? And who is he? And there was no way to look that up. You know, fi even finding out that it was a guy named Gary Glitter, I had no way of looking him up. There was no internet. His name didn't come up in the public in America very much. 
So I had no idea who he was. You know what? I just realized how I... Um, I know how I probably found out who it was. They used to have infomercials for jock jams, and they would play samples of the songs. Samples of the songs. They would play just like a snippet of each song. Pretty much all those compilation CDs had infomercials, just regular commercials. You know, there was monster ballads. It was like the 80s hair metal monster ballads, they called it. That one was on a lot. And uh, Jock Jams was another one. So I'm guessing that I was watching TV and they were like, check out Jock Jams. And they probably played a snippet of that song and it said Gary Glitter. And I was just like, I got to get that CD. But beyond that, there was no way for me to look him up. And like nobody had any answers. No kids I knew knew who Gary Glitter was. I don't think my mom did. Because I'm sure I asked my mom, like, Gary Glitter? I don't think she knew who he was. Nobody I knew knew who Gary Glitter was. So finding out who it was and like getting a copy of that on CD, Jock Jams, there was no more. There was no way for me to find out more. Maybe if I had gone to a record store, I could have asked. Maybe I could have found CDs of his there. I don't know. I never thought to do that. But the answers weren't apparent because uh, there was no way to look it up. And it became this inside joke between my friends and I we would joke and, and there was no punchline the punchline was just Gary Glitter and I think we were all kind of transfixed by that song you know where it was just this this riff and it's triumphant but it's really simple and the beat of it too you know it's a beat that to me as is as memorable and definitive as something like Queen uh, We Will Rock You I guess but it doesn't feel like that. You know, I don't know what it was like to hear We Will Rock You before it was beaten to death, before it became pretty much a parody, or if it always was. But like, boom, boom, psh, I don't even want to do it. I don't even want to do it. I don't even want to beatbox that. You don't hear me beatbox much? I'm not going to beatbox that. I'm not going to start now with We Will Rock You. But it's the beat to Rock and Roll Part 2, it's just as definitive and iconic as that to me. Hence it being one of the most famous stadium songs ever. It kind of defined stadium music, really. But that beat, it's, it's um, just as definitive as, as We Will Rock You or something like that. But there's something more primal and frenzied. Because, you know, the Queen song is just like boom, boom, psh, boom, boom, psh. I'm not even doing it right because I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do it right. But the Gary Glitter one, it's like, it's way more involved. And I found out only recently that that's two drum sets at once. And he even did that live. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it's two drum sets like playing the same thing just to be extra driving, to be extra loud. So he would have two drummers on stage just playing that. And so it's, it's, it's got a little more going on than just like boom, 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 bo
Like there's something terrifying about it. There's something wild about it. And then you're hearing this relatively slow power chord progression just go over that. You know, there's more beats than there are notes. So the, the notes just kind of ring out over this constant beat and it really doesn't change like yeah it changes for the chorus but it's like other than that there's not much variation it's very minimal but it but the product is not minimal i mean hence it being it's not like in stadiums they play minimalist music it's it's maximum in every way but what's actually being done like what went into it is minimal it's just like tea like teasing these basic sounds into this this massive song and so my friends and i like we i think we were all just like what is this and again like i said like i wasn't raised on riffs i'd heard plenty of riffs at that point but i didn't really know what a riff was and that's the first time i remember just zeroing in on a riff But uh, anyway, my friends and I turned it into this inside joke where we'd go around. We did this a lot where we'd go around the playground and we'd ask kids questions. And I don't want to say that we were dehumanizing them. But honestly, we, we were treating them kind of like, um, I don't know what kids today would call NPCs or something. But not really. Like we, we weren't, we thought we could get something interesting out of them or something we could find humor in. But we were treating them like they were just random villagers in an RPG who you just go up to and talk to. And they just say something and you move on. But we, we were looking for a joke, something we could have some fun with. Euphemisms were big with that. Like at some point, we decided we were always coming up with our own sexual euphemisms. And we didn't even know what sex was. We were like eight years old. But we would go up to kids and... At some point, we came up with a euphemism like Harley. Your dad, or your dad, does your dad have a Harley? And if a kid said, "Yeah," we'd go, "Do you ride it?" You know, very simple, stupid stuff. It's a pedo joke, essentially. But we would go up to kids and, and just say, "Like, your dad have a Harley?" And they said, "Yeah." How oh, do you ride it? And then, if, and if they were like, "Yeah," we would laugh. And there's something different about children making pedophilia, pedophilia jokes than adults. Like if, if you're a joke making, if you're, if you're an adult making pedophile jokes, if you're a joke, if you're an adult, if you're a, a, an adult is a joke, but if you're an adult doing that, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe you can be funny about it, but it's a much different joke because when kids make pedophile jokes and we made a lot, we made a lot. You're, you're the target. Like, you're making a joke about the worst thing that could be done to you. Something that you probably fear more than anything. Something your parents fear more than anything. Something that's, like, drilled into your head in school by your parents in life. This is the worst thing that could happen to you. Is a pedophile steals you away. Yet here we were, children, making a lot of pedophile jokes. And one of them was like something like, does your dad have a Harley? Oh yeah, do you ride it a lot? Stupid shit. 
just really stupid. We outgrew that. We were tiny kids, just tiny children. But we would, it wasn't all that. Like some of the questions we would ask kids were jokes, but they, they didn't have an obvious, um, I don't know why they were jokes to us. And Gary Glitter was that. Because this is years before it came out that he was a pedophile. You know, he, he's a, a well-known pedophile since 1999. This is the early, mid-90s at the latest. And we would go up to kids and we'd be like, so what do you think of Gary Glitter? And there, there was no twist to it. Like, it wasn't a twisted joke. It was just because it, it, it amused us. Because we had no idea who this guy was. We're like, who the fuck is Gary Glitter? Who the fuck is that guy? Who's the guy who made this song that we all know because they play it in stadiums? And we like it. So we'd ask people, like, what do you think of Gary Glitter? Are you, are you a fan of Gary Glitter? And most people would say, I don't know who that is. We'd say, do you know who Gary Glitter is? And they'd be like, no. But one time we went up to this girl and she was kind of trashy. And we asked, like, do you like Gary Glitter? And she was like, no. And we're like, do you know who that is? And she goes, yeah. And we're like, who is he? And she goes, he has that song that goes, Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. She said that. And with that sort of, that tone, like, that was the, the tune of, of what she was singing. Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. And she, like, moved her hand back and forth, like, kind of like an in-your-face sort of gesture when she did it. Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. I'm doing the hand motion right now. And we were just taken aback. Because, like, we know, we know there's no Gary Glitter song. I mean, we didn't. We didn't know shit about Gary Glitter. But we, we just instinctively knew that there's no Gary Glitter song that goes, Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. He just says his name like that. We just knew that can't, there's no way that that exists. And then we, we just, she won. Like, that girl won because we didn't know what the fuck to say. And we walked away. And that became an inside joke. Like, even in recent years, like, my friend Nick and I will say that to each other. Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. I actually messaged it to him tonight. Because, like I said, I've had Gary Glitter on the brain. Gary Glitter, Gary Glitter. It's just ridiculous. Like, I don't know if she was just saying that or if she actually did think that existed. Because she was dismissive. Like, she said she didn't like Gary Glitter. And when we asked her more, can tell us more, she cited that, that lyric, apparently. Who knows what world this girl was in. But over the next few years, you know, didn't really think as much about Gary Glitter. My Jock Jam CD collected dust. Then there was one very interesting evening in 1997. One of my friends had a Swedish exchange student. And we his, his dad, who was an important guy in Sweden... He was a politician in Sweden. Not the president of Sweden or anything, but he was a politician in Sweden. He was in town. And so we held a party at our house to host him. 
and he brought schnapps and you know he, he had these toasts he had everybody do and so all these parents and people that we knew our community people in our network were at our house and all the parents just got wasted you hear me whistle I said wasted but it whistled when I said it but these all the parents like my mom never got drunk she barely drank but a bunch of my friends parents got like wasted I, I'd seen them drink but they were drunk like this guy he was having them do shots and everything this Swede he was an old Swedish man with gray hair and a gray beard and he was just having all these Americans do shots and he was well dressed he was a politician and uh, at some point like one of my friend's moms came up to my room and like there were a bunch of us kids there and then we were all just like playing video games in my room and one of my friend's moms came up and knocked on the door and the Swedish the Swedish exchange student was with her and she goes you got any tunes man and we're like holy shit she's drunk and I was like I got punk rock and she goes punk rock I'm looking for some tunes man and she said it just like that she's like I'm looking for some tunes man I'm like who is this lady I've known this lady my whole life who is, who is she right now and then a light bulb went off in my head because she's like I want something to dance to and the, a light bulb went off in my head and I was like I have this and I handed her jock jams and she was like, all right. And so they went downstairs and like, we didn't follow them down. Like we just went back to our video games. And then somebody like another adult or somebody, maybe one of the kids went downstairs to grab a Pepsi, but they were like, you got to see this. And they had put jock jams just in our boom box, which had this little Sony boom box. And they had it on the floor and, and just blasting jock jams. And this, this mom, she was like getting down. And the Swedish exchange student was dancing with all the, and he's like 17 years old. He's dancing with all of these drunk moms. And this one mom, the, the mom who requested tunes, she was getting like down and dirty. You know, she was like freak dancing. What I don't know is if they listened to Gary Glitter. I missed that. I wasn't meant to see that. But I missed it nonetheless, you know, seeing a bunch of drunk suburban moms dancing to like pump up the jams, pump it up. And then all of a sudden Gary Glitter just comes on. Like, what did they think when that came on? They were down there dancing for a long time. What did they think when they heard? What did they think when they heard that? Did they keep dancing? Did they stop? Did they have the same reaction I did? We're like, what is this? What am I hearing? Is this music? Is this a field recording of, of some tr like tribe in New Guinea set to music? What is, that's what it sounded like to me. What did it sound like to them? But anyway, they got down to it. And so I, I hadn't listened to that CD for probably two years, three years. But I just had it sitting there collecting dust and, you know, it was there when they needed it. It was there when these drunk moms drinking with a Swedish politician in my house 
That CD was there for them. The only dance music in the house. My sister didn't have any dance music. We were not an R&B dance kind of family at all. All of us. Like everybody in my family, just white music. Like my dad liked the Beatles. My mom liked the Rolling Stones, the Doors, ABBA. My sister at that, you know, at that age, she was into like hard rock, grunge, a little bit of metal. She later got into like bluegrass and hippie sort of music. All white music, though. Like you're not going to find any dance music in our house, not even white dance music. Not going to find any except for that jock jam CD that I bought because of the Gary Glitter song. And yet it was there when my the one night I can guarantee you there was no dancing in my house. Nobody danced. Nobody in my family ever danced. My dad, I don't think my dad's ever danced in his life. My mom neither. My my mom I never saw her dance. Maybe jokingly like kind of moved her arm like a dance move once as a joke, but nobody ever I don't think my family understood dancing, and I've tried to explain that to people. When I used to go out drinking all the time with people or go to parties, they'd always be like, you never dance. You never dance. And I'd be like, I don't, yeah, my people don't dance. It seems to bother people. It actually does. It seems to bother people if you don't dance. And then it becomes this big thing, like, you got, if you're coming to my party, you got to dance this time. You got to dance. And you're just like, no, and then and it's like, I'm not protesting you dancing, I'm not, you know, do what you want, but it's it's never been entertaining for me to watch people dance either. Like, every time I'm watching some, like, old TV show, some old performance, and it's just dancing, I'm like, this makes no sense to me. I don't understand why you'd, it's impressive that people can do that physically, and they can choreograph themselves you know, it's not that I don't think dancing's an impressive feat. I, I'd say I understand it, too. Like, I understand why it's impressive. But I don't enjoy watching people do it. That is not entertaining to me in any way. And I don't do it. It's not something I feel compelled to do. Yeah, you know, everybody feels compelled to, like, move to music. Of course, I've done that. But dancing, no. And so I think that was probably the only time that any music like that was ever heard in my house. And it was the only time, I think, that anybody danced. Maybe my sister had a party in junior high where people danced to color me bad or something like that. The dancing was not something that took place in my home by any of the parties who lived there. Any of their associates, nobody danced in my house. There wasn't a rule against it. Just nobody would ever think to do it. So the fact that there was this dance party of drunk moms listening to jock jams, it was just meant to be. And, and my friends and I, we were just so amused by that. Because that CD itself, like in the same way that Gary Glitter was an inside joke among us, the jock jam CD became this inside joke. Because my friends knew I had it. And so it was just kind of funny that I had it. But then, you know, after that, didn't didn't think about it again. 
And at some point during this time, too, I saw an image of Gary Glitter. I don't know how, but at some point, I saw an image of him. And I was like, that's Gary Glitter? That's him? Because what I imagined was a guy, I, you know, honestly, I didn't have a word for it at the time. Like when I was nine years old, I didn't have a, a term for it. But I, I always imagined that Gary Glitter was a studio musician. I imagined it was, it was like somebody who'd make soundtracks or something. Not that it sounded like soundtrack music to me. But in the same way you'd see like a soundtrack by Mark Mothersbaugh. Soundtrack by Danny Elfman. In my mind, that must be what Gary Glitter is. He's just some kind of like studio soundtrack sort of guy. He's behind the scenes. I had no idea anything else about him. I was just like, oh, he's some guy. He's like a Danny Elfman type guy or something. I mean, much different music, but he just makes like studio, like anthemic studio tracks or something. But at some point I finally saw an image of him. It might have been on VH1. I don't know where it was, but I saw a brief fleeting glimpse of him and I was like, oh, that's Gary Glitter. And what I saw was like some, he, he looked like a parody of an Elvis impersonator. Meets like a cheap Halloween store Dracula costume. Because it wasn't an image of Gary Glitter, you know, early on. It was like Gary Glitter from the 80s or something where he had like a drawn on widow's peak and like practically a beehive hair wearing some kind of sequin suit and makeup. I think, you know, I was like... Oh, it's yeah, he's like a, a cheap Elvis impersonator meets, yeah, Halloween store Dracula. But I didn't learn anything else. Didn't find anything else. I just finally was able to put a face to the name. And it wasn't, it, it mystified me even more. Like, at no point in this process was there any demystification going on. I continued to be more and more mystified by Gary Glitter because... Seeing that that's what he looked like just made me like, what? Especially because he doesn't sing on the fucking song. And I'd never heard another Gary Glitter song. Up to that point, I'd never heard another Gary Glitter song. And to add to the mystification, I didn't know why this song was called Rock and Roll Part 2. And I remember thinking about it, too. You know, I had a little kid brain, so my thoughts weren't that sophisticated. But I remember thinking, like, is the song, is there a part one and the song's just called number two? Like, I almost developed, like, my own logic for it. Like, oh, it's called Rock and Roll Part Two because part one is, like, the history of rock and roll. So it's called Rock and Roll Part Two, not because Gary Glitter has a song called Rock and Roll Part One, but because, like, this is, like, Rock and Roll Part Two. I didn't think there was another song. And you, you couldn't even fathom another song. Like, based on how that song sounded, like, you couldn't fathom that there would be a part one and understand what that could sound like. So that mystified me even more. Like, yeah, it's rock and roll. It's just this anthemic riff. Yeah, it's rock music. It's just like stripped down, straightforward rock music, if you can even call it that. I mean, it is, but, you know, it's not like it's a rock song. It's not like you're listening to a song song. 
It's just this riff over a beat with with wild sounds of hay. And the hay gets weird as it goes. You know, as, as the song goes on, the hay is like, hey, 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 hey. It's like, it's like he does like weird shit. And I don't even know that that's him. I don't even know that's Gary Glitter doing the hay. At no point are you able to really connect the vocalizations to him. Like it probably is. But it's not like you can hear a clear lead vocal track. Like, it just sounds like a tape recording someone made of, like, a mob of people. But anyway, time went on. I I didn't think about Gary Glitter as much. I became a teenager. And then in 1999, the news broke that they found child pornography on a lot of it on Gary Glitter's computer. And that was the most I'd ever heard him talked about. You heard about that in the U.S. It was news. Maybe not the biggest news, but it was news that you heard. That, oh yeah, like British musician Gary Glitter is a pedophile. But up until that point, like aside from that song being played in stadiums, like there was no reference to him or anything. So it was just like after all that, he's, he's a pedophile. And in 1999, it wasn't today where you're getting a thousand stories a day, you know. You just pick up on certain news stories, and that was the one that I picked up on. And so, I don't know, it felt like a cosmic coincidence or something that I had been so fixated on Gary Glitter that my friends and I had turned it into a punchline, that I went through a brief obsession with that song after hearing it in a stadium, that it became the stadium song throughout the country. You know, it was this phenomenon unto itself nationally, but also within my own little mind. Because, I mean, honestly, I, I think that song really, uh, the idea of a riff, that song really crystallized the idea of a riff to me. I was able to wrap my brain around what a riff was because of that song. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not kidding. I... You know, maybe the closest thing maybe that I could come up with is, you know, Metallica or Nirvana. You know, like you think about Nirvana smells like teen spirit or Metallica enter Sandman. And those were very mainstream popular riffs that everybody just knows. You know, they know the riff as, as much as they do the chorus. Like, people are, are more likely to hum the chorus of Enter Sandman. Or, sorry, people are more likely to, to hum the riff of Enter Sandman than the chorus, it feels like. Same with Smells Like Teen Spirit. You're way more likely to hear somebody just hum that opening riff. That was maybe the closest thing that I I could come to that, like, really helped me understand what a riff is. But Gary Glitter is the one who really did it because it was just the riff. There was nothing else but the riff. And then it turns out he's a pedophile. And yet I still don't even know what he sounds like. Like up to that point, I had never heard him sing. Here he's this singer. He's this famous British singer. I've never even heard him sing. All I've heard is this mostly instrumental track with hay yelled over it. Not even a musical hay. Just hay, just yelling. So this is all very esoteric, you know? It's, and then he's, a, he's a, a pedophile, and now he's being talked about a lot. 
And we continue to reference him over the years. And I didn't know this, but he fled and he lived in various Asian countries. <laughs> Maybe other parts of the world too, but he fled. He, I think he fled to Spain actually first. He fled to Spain, and then he fled to Vietnam. And I want to say he was living on a ship. Pretty sure he was living on a ship at some point. But then it, it turned out he was doing stuff in Vietnam. Like, he got in all this trouble in Vietnam. I think he they found, like, a ton of child pornography on his computer in Vietnam. And I think he molested somebody or raped somebody. I think he raped, some, I think he raped a 15-year-old or something in Vietnam. So even though he got this, you know, I think he served prison time, I want to say. I don't know. My, my Gary Glitter biography isn't great. But I think he did serve prison time for the kitty porn in England. And then he went, then he started traveling the world while continuing to consume large amounts of child porn and even committing acts himself. So like, that was what was important to him. Like he stayed committed to that. Like even though he was getting old and you know all that, I think he's, I think he's dead. I'm not sure. He might. I don't know. I don't know actually if he's alive or dead. I don't know Gary Glitter's current status. But it's like he couldn't resist. And then so seeing this Jimmy Savile thing the other night, like it turns out, like yeah, like Gary Glitter had sex with little girls in Jimmy's. Uh, changing room in his uh, what do you call it dressing room so Gary Glitter was up to this stuff way back when but it's it just it's weird that he was I don't know this mysterious figure and because I was reminded of him it, it made me actually look into it more like I'd never heard rock and roll part one because it turns out rock and roll part one was a song and I listened to it finally, and it's got, you know, the, the components are the same. You know, it's the same tune to some degree, but it's got lyrics, and he sings. And what's interesting is, I, you know, I know that he's very famous, but his voice doesn't really sound like anything. Like, there's a couple good Gary Glitter songs. Like, I've heard a few good Gary Glitter songs. There's one that's got a weird title. It's something like... Let me love you, love me, love you. It's it's a weird title, something like that. That's a really good song. But a lot of his stuff just sounds like nothing. Like his voice isn't that definitive or anything. You wouldn't really think much of it. You wouldn't be like, oh, this guy's got an amazing voice. It's an amazing voice. Have you heard this guy's voice? You know, you, you wouldn't really have that reaction to it. And he's called glam rock, and I've never understood what glam rock is. You know, I'm not trying to be purposely obtuse, but I've never wrapped my brain around glam rock. I, I understand the aesthetic, which always looked cheap to me. Nothing wrong with cheap, but I'm just saying it looked cheap. Um, you know, it, glam rock always looked to me like somebody, like a little boy playing around with his sister's makeup. Like he wore one of his sister's shirts and put on makeup but didn't know how. That's what it looks like. So I understand the aesthetic, but I don't understand what it is, you know, because it, it seems to run a, a pretty wide spectrum. 
Because Gary Glitter is considered glam rock, and I don't know how that's considered glam rock beyond the fact that he looked the way he did. Is David Bowie considered glam rock? Seems like he is, but I don't know. Certainly, he he kind of created the aesthetic, but I don't know. I don't know that his music. I, I mean, his music would just be considered David Bowie, I guess. But I don't. I don't know like what defines the music, because every time I hear it, I don't think like, oh, this is clearly glam rock. It's not like hair metal where you can hear a hair metal song and you know exactly what this is. Like you see the aesthetic in your brain and the music sounds like that. And you instantly recognize it as hair metal. If I heard a glam rock song and I didn't know that it was considered glam rock, I wouldn't go, oh, this is glam rock. And years ago here in Olympia, there was a guy, a friend of a friend who said he was trying to start a glam rock band. And I just remember at the time being like, what is that? What is that? I'm sure someone could give me examples and I'm sure I could learn. Like, I'm sure it is a thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a thing. I'm just saying that as someone who's never been interested in it, but is interested in music, the examples of it I've come across or when, it, when it's been referenced don't make sense to me. The aesthetic does, like the way the performers look. But as far as like a defining sound, I've never really heard it. You know, maybe somebody could teach me. Teach me. Will you teach me about glam rock? And Gary Glitter, certainly, I don't understand it. Like, beyond the fact that he wore makeup and dressed the way he did, wore, you know, shiny suits... I, when I've listened to his music, I don't hear glam rock. Like, like rock and roll part two, does, that's not glam rock. There's no way that's glam rock. But the other music of his I've heard too, where he's actually singing, I, don't, I would never listen to that and go, oh, this is glam rock. Glam rock. I just don't know what it is. But it's interesting he's continued his rampage. Like He just kept on. And he's an artist. I mean, that's the thing, is he's a pedophile. Because what I've learned is, is they don't play that song anymore. They don't play that song in stadiums anymore, even though it was the, not just a capital T, it was a capital T, capital H, capital E, the stadium song, Rock and Roll Part 2. They don't play it in stadiums anymore, not as much, because he's a pedophile. It's considered offensive. It's considered in poor taste. I mean, you'll hear Michael Jackson all sorts of places. But there is something interesting about that character because it's so obviously bad. You know, being a pedophile is so obviously bad when it's these musicians. And like, I never look at a musician and think he's got to be good. I don't mind. I can appreciate the art of a a true freak, like someone who's truly a freak, which these guys are. I can appreciate that that exists. It's not like oh, Gary Glitter's cool because he's a pedophile. It's like no, that makes the whole the whole package that much stranger. That colors rock and roll part two like listening to rock and roll part two and being like this is some strange anthem that this pedophile came up with 
And I don't even know what he came up with. Like, did he write the riff? I don't... He had a band. And they had two drummers doing it. Like, the other night, I'd never looked for that live. I'd never tried to find a live video of Gary Glitter playing that song. And I found one. found a couple. And sure enough, two drummers on stage with full kits. But not, like, a grandiose... Like, it was a small room. You know, they were playing this in a relatively small club... It wasn't like they were in an arena with two drum kits. You know, the stage was just packed. The, sta- the stage was crammed. There were two drummers with full kits just playing that beat. And they looked like maniacs. The movement of their body, these drummers, they looked like utter maniacs doing this. And then the guitarist just launches into that riff. And the tone of that riff in this live video I was watching was so good. You know, it's like there's a light effect on it, but you really hear the strings. You could really hear the strings on this one live performance. And that's how I knew it was truly live. Like, I could easily imagine Gary Glitter getting on stage and the band pretending to play that song, but it's just being played through the PA. In this video I was watching, like, those two drummers were just in, in just total synchrony just pounding that beat out. And then this guy just launched into that simple riff. But the guitar tone was so good. And then all Gary Glitter did is is make these strange poses on stage in time with the music. It was really cool. And what was most interesting is Gary Glitter didn't do any of the haze. Like he would bring the microphone up to his mouth, but he wouldn't do anything. He was just striking these bizarre poses. And really, you could tell he was really feeling it. And what's funny is that's kind of what I always imagined. Like, I always imagined that Gary Glitter himself wasn't even doing anything except for just kind of posing. And so he's just like, he's making these strange poses. And other people, like the crowd or other people are doing the haze. And he's not even leading the charge. Like, he's like, there's there's a few times where he like brings the microphone up like he's going to sing and then he doesn't even open his mouth. It, it, like, watching it, I hate to say that, I hate, I hate to put it in these terms, but watching it, I was like, this is fucking incredible performance art. And not performance art in, in some sort of ironic sense. Like, some people will watch something and make fun of it and be like, oh man, that's actually performance art. I'm not making fun of it. Like, watching it, I was like, this is actually really good performance art. Just playing that fucking song, and he's not even doing any of the vocalizations. He's not doing any of the chants, at least in this video. Maybe other times he does, but in this video, he's not making any of the noises. He's just this sort of mascot on stage, dressed like a freak. And they're the sort of poses that I want to do to the music. They're the sort of poses I do to the music. Um, so that was eye-opening. And the, the two drums. I don't know why I'm so fixated on that, but for some reason, knowing that that song is played with two full drum kits played at the same exact time by two different drummers, just Awesome. Because there's no reason for it. Like, there's no reason that a live performance of that song needs two drummers. 
you know, it's not like there's any uh, polyrhythms or something. It's not like one of the drummers is playing something slightly different. Like from what I could see, they're just hitting the the, the identical spots. But he wanted that beat loud. He wanted he wanted something. He wanted some kind of emphasis on that beat. And even though it's just a straightforward beat, you know, it's there's something just frenzied about it. It's just like a beast's jaws just tearing through flesh. But like I was saying, you know, it's there's something about that, that kind of artist where Michael Jackson could be included, any of those guys. And, and it goes for other viewpoints, too. It, it It's not the same thing, but I can make a similar point when I say that, you know, some people hate Morrissey. Not because of his music, but because of his views. Like a good friend of mine, a friend whose opinion I respect, who I love. He walked out of a Morrissey concert about five or six years ago. More than that. Like 2017, maybe. He walked out of a Morrissey concert because Morrissey made pro-Brexit comments. This was in America. But Morrissey said something that was pro-Brexit at a live show. And my friend walked out, an American. He was like, fuck that guy. I love and respect that friend. But to me, it's like whether you have an opinion on Brexit at all, which it's always funny how we have these opinions on what goes on in other parts of the world, places we don't live. Not that you can't, but it's always funny when people do. Um, but I... You know, it's funny that it wasn't, you know, commentary about, like, local politics. It was something like that. But whether you agree with that or don't agree or don't care at all, I would think even if you don't like that, even if you hate Brexit, like, is there not something you can appreciate about just the spectacle of this? Not the spectacle of the show itself, but just the spectacle of it. Like when a musician has something about their personality or their life or their opinions or something they did that could be criminal. It could be morally reprehensible. It could be criminal. It could just be disagreeable to you. But isn't there something you can also appreciate about that? Like the spectacle of it all? You know, sometimes when somebody, a musician in particular... But when a musician does something, an artist does something, and you're like, ah, oh, it's fucking awful. I don't know. There's something I appreciate about that. I don't appreciate the bad thing they did. But I appreciate that it's part of the spectacle. Like, I can't change it. Like, I can't change the fact that Gary Glitter is a pedophile. That fact alone is certainly not something to celebrate. But the spectacle of it, the whole the whole picture of it, the big picture of it, I don't know. It, it's it's not so. It's certainly not something that takes away artistic value. That certainly doesn't strip away the artistic value. It just it forms it into a spiral. It just makes it that much more chaotic. Like, this is chaotic art. 
That's pretty much how I feel. You know, when something like that comes out about an artist, I'm like, oh, this is, this is chaotic art. It doesn't justify anything. It's just kind of my opinion. Just kind of my reaction. And I try to do that with a lot of things. I mean, not, not everything, but I try to do that with a lot of things. Like when I don't agree with somebody about something, which is different than being a predator or criminal. But when I don't agree with somebody about something, I, I try to do the same thing where I'm like, oh, the spectacle of it all. The spectacle. The chaos. And then I, I heard a, a little while back that that movie, The Joker, which I haven't seen, but I heard that The Joker used Rock and Roll Part 2. From what I understand, there's a scene, I think it's after he dons the makeup. I don't know if this is true, I haven't seen it. My understanding, though, it's like when he first dons the makeup, there's a scene of him like leaving his house and that song's playing and he's, I think he's posing and dancing. And I kind of want to see it just for that alone, because it sounds like a good scene. Maybe it's just because I like the song. But that sounds like a good scene. It sounds like a, a very good use of that song. Like, now that they don't play it in stadiums, like, that sounds like a good use of that song. Having the Joker, when he first dons his makeup, and he's out just being a maniac, leaving his house in makeup the fact that they would play that song is perfect but the funny thing is like now I feel like a lot of people know the name Gary Glitter now I think a lot of Americans really found out who he is because of uh, him being a pedophile I don't think many people really knew the name until it came out that he was a pedophile. Like, oh, because we love a good pedophile story. We love a, a, a good pedophile headline. So I, I think people really started to pay attention to who he was because of that. Because like I said, like I had parents who, you know, came of age in the 60s and 70s. I never heard them mention Gary Glitter once. I never heard anybody, and I paid attention to those things, you know? I paid attention to the history of music, of rock. I never heard anybody talk about Gary Glitter in the United States, aside from that jock jam stadium song, the touchdown song. And the craziest part about that song is it was released in 1972. I didn't realize it was that old. You know, in my mind, it was something from the 80s. I mean, granted, I was hearing like a CD remaster for a Jock Jams compilation. But it always sounded like something from the 80s to me, like early 80s. Is it's kind of like that Scorpion song, Coast to Coast. Scorpions have that song. And I think the singer, when they, when they used to play it live, the singer would pick up a third guitar. Because all it is is a riff. I need to listen to that, remember what it sounds like, but it's one of those types of songs, Scorpions, Coast to Coast. It's just a riff over and over again. I don't even think there are lyrics. 
because the singer, like I said, the singer would pick up a third guitar, so they'd have three guitars playing the same exact thing. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so I, I always imagined that Rock and Roll Part 2 was maybe from the early 80s. I didn't realize it was from 1972. It was released in 1972, which is crazy. Like, you think about what was coming out in 72. You know, Black Sabbath was starting to hit their stride. They were riff, heavy riff-based music. Meanwhile, Gary Glitter's releasing this song that's just the same thing, and it's amazing it was released at all. Because what I read, because like recently I decided I want to actually find out more about that song. Surprisingly, there's not a lot. I haven't dug deep, but I couldn't find anything that even said like what the recording session was like. The only thing I saw about the recording session is they said it was a jam session, which makes complete sense. You know, it makes sense that they just jammed that song out. They probably jammed Rock and Roll Part 1 out, and they were like, let's keep going. Let's just do that riff over and over again. And that's what makes it so good, too. You can tell that, like, not really much commercial motivation, even though it became a very commercial sports stadium song 20 years later. At the time, like, not much commercial motivation must have gone into that. Maybe Rock and Roll Part 1, but Rock and Roll Part 2... There was no real commercial outlet for that. Of Just, like, we're going to play this slow triumphant riff over this insane beat with two drummers while just wild chants of hey course over the music not even in time really not a very commercial song and so reading that it was a jam session makes sense they just kept playing that they were just like this this feels like something this this is doing something but in 72, it's like, I don't know how much riff-based music like that there even was. Because it sounds like something you've heard a million times. Like, it, it seems like there would have been a lot of songs like that. It doesn't sound particularly imaginative. I mean, it does to me, but looking at it objectively, it doesn't seem particularly imaginative. Just a, a pretty straightforward, kind of triumphant, anthemic melody played over and over again over a beat just a slamming beat a frenzied slamming beat but I can't think especially in 72 like what had been released that sounds like that who had released anything like that at that point what sort of uh, rare garage rock from the 60s did anything like that I don't know. I mean, there, there might be something and I just don't know about it, but I, I don't know. So coming out in 1972, pretty incredible. They were like, we're just going to release this riff. And then how it got famous, I didn't know this until the other day, but how it got famous in stadiums and everything was a guy in, I think in the mid-80s, he was like the marketing director for a minor league hockey team he started playing it and then he got another job for the colorado rockies so that's professional baseball and then he started playing it there so just this one guy was like i'm gonna play this the fact that he even knew what it was the fact that there was a guy in the 80s 
marketing director for uh, you know a minor league sports team initially was like this record. I doubt that had been reissued on CD. He probably had the vinyl. I wouldn't be surprised if, if the only way to play that song was on vinyl at that point. Because I know it was an A and B 45. Rock and Roll Part 1 was on the A side, obviously, and Rock and Roll Part 2 was on the B side. Um, but I, I don't know. There was maybe, maybe it was on cassette or something, but I wouldn't be surprised if that guy just had that 45. I was like, I'll play this. And then it just took off like wildfire. Suddenly, that became the song, all because this one guy played it in a stadium. It wasn't like it was created for that. Because when I was a kid, I, you know, like I was saying how in my mind, Gary Glitter, even though I didn't know what a studio musician was, in my mind, he was some studio musician that might have made that for stadiums. Gary Glitter might have recorded that song. He might have been a studio musician who just made songs for stadiums, for all I knew. No. That was some obscure, at least in America, B-side. And this guy just decided to play it. He, he heard the magic and was like, I can play this through loudspeakers. And people will really feel something. Like dads, my dad, will say to me, Oh, they're playing the touchdown song. They're playing the hay song. And you know what? This is something important too, is that when they played that song in the kingdom growing up, people would do the wave during it. You know, the wave is where they go around in a circle in the entire stadium. And when it gets to you, you stand up and put your arms up and go like, Hey, and so people around the stadium would do that. They would do the wave during Gary Glitter and they would yell, hey, along with the music. So there's a ritual. Really loud, too. I mean, think about how loud that was. The kingdom was notoriously loud to begin with. But that music's being played through the kingdom PA, so it's... Very loud. The crowd is one of the loudest football crowds in the country. The Seahawks fans are known for being the loud, you know, one of the loudest fan bases, the twelfth man. And everyone's just screaming hey while doing the wave to that song. Just crazy. What a ritual. And that I craved it. Like as a kid, you know, I would just I would go to those games and I loved football. I loved the whole experience. But there was a part of me like just itching away. There was just this itch being like, I can't wait to hear the touchdown song. I can't wait to hear that song. And then it would kick in and like I almost wanted to savor it. You know, like my family, my dad and uncle and grandpa, like we'd high five because of the touchdown. But there was a part of me that was like thinking like, I, I got to pay attention to the song. And I hadn't heard it in a very long time, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I need to see the Joker movie to, I don't know, to see if they did justice to it. Because it is a good psycho song, and that's kind of what I mean about the art. That's kind of what I mean about finding out that Gary Glitter is a monster. It makes the song better 
that Gary Glitter is a freak and a monster. Because it's a good song for like somebody going crazy. Like you don't need to hear the psycho music. You don't need to hear horror movie music as a backdrop to somebody going insane. It's Gary Glitter. Children can run free. 